It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. This episode of BGN Radio is brought to you by Clip It, the hottest app that is out there. Watch TV, make clips, and share. For more information, check them out at clipit.tv or check them on Twitter at clipittv. You're listening to BGN Radio. Eagles outside linebacker Connor Barwin joins us. I heard you guys are the best Eagles podcast there is out there in Philly, so I'm excited to talk to you guys. We have made it to episode number 157. I'm going to tell you, gang, it is a uh, it's a very strange time to be a Philadelphia sports fan. And basically, I think that's what we're going to concentrate on. But uh, first, before we get into any of that, we have got a jam-packed show. We're definitely going to get into some draft talk. Uh, the QB situation, or at least the talk, doesn't seem to go away. So we wanted to bring on uh, a couple of people. Jimmy Kemsky is going to join us again in back-to-back weeks, which we are very happy with, along with our lead draft writer, Ben Deton, we're going to go and debate why or why not the Eagles should select a quarterback. Uh, and I think there's a lot of good points on both sides, even though Jimmy says my logic is shitty, which usually is 100% true, but you can listen to that just a little bit. It's coming up. Also joining us for the very first time on the podcast, we are so happy to have him. Uh, we'll call him our own little NFL insider here in Philadelphia, Jeff Mosier. We'll be joining us from 97.5, the Fanatic, and also Eagles Scouting Nest as well. So we are very happy that it that is happening. And by the way, everyone out there, uh, don't know if you've heard or not, but we are throwing a fucking draft party, and it's going to be wild and crazy and awesome with the people over at Philly Influencer and Sean Brace and all that. So immediately, right now, stop what you're doing. Actually, just pause the pod- podcast. Go. We, we finally have the T-shirts ready to rock and roll, your own, very own, BGN rate or BGN draft party t-shirts along with Philly influencer. Uh, click on the link. If you are on right here at bleeding If you're listening to us anywhere else, we'll try and post the link 
uh, in the uh, description. So you can just go there as, uh, as well from our friends over at ATLS Apparel. They really put together a great T-shirt for the event, and you should head there immediately right now to buy one and enjoy it. For the draft party that's happening April 28th, 7 p.m., we're going to be broadcasting live through the entire first round until the Eagles pick. We'll have our reactions. You get to be a part of of the show as well, uh, and we're very excited for that to happen. Nick's Roast Beef, uh, Nick's Roast Beef, rather, Cotman Avenue, 2210. Uh, be there because uh, everyone's going to be down there, and it's going to be very exciting. You're out there right now on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you're at. Please rate, subscribe, and review, uh, and that helps us grow the podcast, and we always want to hear your feedback as well. Uh, so that being said, let's introduce the crew that's here. Uh, once again, they are back. They are beautiful. It is uh, Mr. James Zeltzer. What's going on, pal? How are you? John, you gave me so many things to react to in that open there. I don't even know what to choose from. First and foremost, don't pause the podcast. Listen to it on your iPhone, and then you can do both things at once. So little. Little little tip there, okay? Party awesome. Shout out to Jeff Mosher, who is is fantastic at his job and also a, an awesome, awesome guy. Really excited to have him on and, uh, you know, doing stuff with us is it, great. We love having Jeff around. Uh, and, and most importantly, and this is probably bad for getting people to continue to listen to the podcast, but I figure because there's so much goodness to come with Mosher and Kemsky and all that stuff and uh, your shitty opinions and all that, um... I just I have to I have to warn the audience. There is no way that whatever we say, the three of us and the the person you're going to introduce in a minute, there's no way that whatever we say in the next however many minutes is going to be close to as good as the pre-show conversation that we had. And I, and I'll have to leave it at that because John forgot to hit record, so we don't even have any Easter eggs from it. But that was that was great, guys. So I feel like I'm spent already. So if if everybody remembers, uh, <laughs> before we transferred, I'm like James had a robot James. We would put that in there every now and again. I think it would happen once a show. It happened to Matt's <laughs> microphone for the first time, and instead of sounding like a robot, he sounded like a serial killer, like or except from a <laughs> horror movie or like from the movie Ransom. So it was it was pretty, awesome. I thought he was doing it on purpose because we're, we're for the first time we're actually trying a different recording method. So I hope this comes through beautiful and clean for everybody that's out there. But uh, once he opened up his recording software, it just kind of went haywire. Regardless, we still want to hear him from him this evening, and we want to hear his beautiful tones. Matt Daring, what's happening, sir? How are you? Oh, my God, John. This intro is so boring. God. Just get on with it already. You are killing me. Hold on, guys. Uh, Who am I? Who am I? Real quick. Who am I? 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 Give me your Um, children. Yeah, I, uh, I'm oh, looking forward to the draft party. That's actually I, my dad. I will... By the way, James. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the draft party. I will be there. I am going to be celebrating my anniversary early so that I can be there because uh, my anniversary is actually the day before. So, wow. Uh, shouts to my girlfriend who is much better than I deserve. But um, Agreed. Uh, yeah. I I'm pumped and um yeah I'm really bummed that I don't get to hear what it sounds like if I were some sort of serial killer having a religious experience. Uh, listen, I mean that, this is what I'm saying. Matt is delaying his freaking anniversary. We have people flying in from Los Angeles, Seattle, people driving the windy up city. from Virginia, taking the train down from New York City. I believe there was somebody from Maryland, West Virginia, and possibly Ohio coming to this thing. If you are not there. You're going to be missing out on a ton of fun. Plus, we're giving away Eagles tickets to the home opener. Uh, I know Sean over at PhillyInfluencer.com is giving away a whole bunch of skull shavers, barbecue sauce. Uh, the Clip It, uh, our, our great sponsor, is going to be 
giving away uh, their swag and and swag and all those dumb radio terms that we say for free stuff. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, if you wear a shirt, I'll just say this now. If you're wearing a shirt, if you're wearing one of the BGN draft shirts, I'm going to buy you a beer and an appetizer at Nick's Roast Beef. Let's, let's just oh, make, it, oh. make it easy. We'll run a tab. If you if you have a shirt, bang, right on my credit card. That's how wow. it's going to work. So. John, I didn't know. John, how come you're making the big bucks like that and Matt and I can, can't even afford to, to buy our own beers? And, <laughs> they uh, won't even give uh, me a credit card. That about, buddy. You're buying. You're buying everything for the entire. Everyone's gonna be wearing a shirt. The shirts are awesome. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I heard LeBron James might be there. It's true. Uh, listen, the VIP list is growing for this thing. Me and Matt are going to put that out there on Monday. If you're not mm-hmm. at this thing, because uh, the Eagles shut you out. The Eagles gave away tickets to their draft party, and it sold out in five minutes. Uh, we're, we're not doing that. You, all you got to do is show up, and it's gonna be a ton of fun. So we'll get into that. What we want to talk about, and look. We're, we're going to go draft heavy later on in the show. I just think that since all of this crazy stuff has started happening, and it happened, look, it happened when Kelly got fired, and I know that there are a lot of Sixers fans, and maybe there, maybe I'm, maybe there's not, but I still think there's a lot of odd, weird parallels that are happening in the Philadelphia sports scene. I want to focus on that for a little bit. I know people get tired of a lot of the draft talk. We We kind of like, you know, tunnel vision into the first round we're just as guilty as anyone else here doing that we're going to try and expand and get some people on here to really go through a lot of the details of the later rounds because i think that's that's somewhat uh, what people want to hear but as as of right now it's kind of this I, i've been having a long conversations with everybody today and we we're talking over uh with the, i was talking with the the guys over at crossing broad jim and kyle and we we're having a long conversation here james and it just seems like the weirdest things have happened, and they were all, they're all gone now. Sam Hinkie and Chip Kelly came in here and kind of took everything by storm. It was national attention. There was a lot of questions. So many articles and long-form pieces and hot takes from everybody, us included, about how these things are going to go down. And they both came in at the same time, and they both basically left, fired, quit, resigned, at the same time, and it went from, you know, exciting, awful, terrible, great, intuitive, wow, I can't believe this is happening, it's all happening right here in Philadelphia, to in three years, everybody's saying, let's get rid of it, get it out of here, I don't want this anymore, I would rather just have my my hopefully mediocre basketball team, my hopefully mediocre football team, as long as there's football guys in charge, I'm happy. And that's how I kind of feel today. I, I just feel, I, I don't know how, what your take on all this is, James, because, listen, a 13-page resignation letter is, is something interesting to talk about. The Flyers trying to blow their playoff chances right now is really disheartening. The, the fact that there's no real number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nobody really knows what the Eagles need or want. There's 500 different opinions on this thing, but... I don't know how. How do you feel overall right now? Because I just feel like everybody was Kaiser Sosa here, and they just now they're gone. Like it's just poof. <laughs> now, now we have to just get stuck with. I don't know. Maybe it's the is it the excitement that I'm missing? All the all the weird bull crap that keeps going back and forth here. Yeah. Well, the greatest trick Sam Minky ever played was making Philadelphia believe he didn't exist. Right. Um, yeah, no, no, John, I, I'm I'm with you, man. It's a um, 
It's disheartening from my perspective. Uh, look, I understand why Chip had to go at the time he went. I, I you know, I think I've been on record pretty clearly saying I, I would have given the guy one more year to try and sort out his own mess. And then because you had, had, in a sense, were pot committed in my mind that you you had decided to buy into this innovative or, or different, even if it's not innovative, this this different way of doing things. And and if you're going to go in and do that, you, you I feel like you have to follow through with it because there's nothing worse than changing midstream when you are committing to something that takes an all-in approach. And we saw the exact same thing happen with the Sixers here. I, I, like, And I think that one's even more disheartening because, you know, the chip thing I get because chip was – you know, there were there were so many issues there, and it was just a really toxic situation. And I understand that the Sixers situation was toxic because they were losing a bunch, but I don't get why there's there are other teams that tank. The friggin' Lakers are doing it right now, obviously, as we all know, and no one ever talks about that shit. But it's always the Sixers. The Sixers became the poster child because Hinky was willing to go in there and throw his balls on the table and say, "Hey, guess what." I'm fucking blowing this entire thing up and we're going to be the worst team you've ever seen. And that's what you have to do in the NBA. Like, look, we were all in on the idea of it. I think that you would back when, when the, the idea of the process, the plan started, I think you would have to say that a vast majority of Sixers fans were behind it because most people know that in today's NBA, you have to do that to really turn it around or you have to get insanely, insanely lucky. Uh, but, it, you know, and, and honestly, I think that's really what happened is, is Hinky got really unlucky with ping pong balls, with Embiid's foot. And I think that people just, people were willing to buy into the idea and they understood it. But I don't think people had the, the testicular fortitude, the mental fortitude, the willingness to, to tough it out during the tough times. And, and I think that we, we saw that both with the fans and we saw it with the team, which is even worse. And, and I think that that's really what played out, uh, you know, today or last night with Sam Inky and you know, obviously, I know he resigned, quote unquote, but he was forced out. I, let's, I mean, you know, they brought, the day they brought in Jerry Colangelo was the day I think everyone knew that Sam Hankey was done in Philadelphia, at least at some point in the not too distant future. And then making it that much worse, you, they bring in his son. I, I mean, are you shitting me? Like, uh, nep, like it's like nepotism at its worst. We're talking about running a public trust. Uh, uh, millions of fans, hopes and dreams lay with this team or, or rely on this team. And and nepotism is what's going to be in charge of running this, the organization. I mean, I, I'm like, I'm very, very down on the Sixers right now, as I am on the Eagles, even though I do like the what they've done so far this offseason. And I'm, you know, that, that can change change me. There's a lot of work to do, but I'm, you know, more optimistic than I was, but I'm certainly, despite the the rough stretch we've seen from the Flyers here, that are really not stretch, but the Red Wings and Maple Leafs games, um, you know, whether or not they make the playoffs, they were a little ahead of schedule to begin with. I think you got to be happy about what they're doing there, especially with kids like Sanheim and Konechny and Provorov on the horizon. And I love what the Phillies are doing. I think that they, you know, they're going to be bad again for a couple more years, and then that, they could turn really quick, but... Now, I think all of a sudden, the Sixers and the Eagles, the two who a couple years ago, I think everyone would have said had the most long-term upside in this city, might be the two with the, the most you know long-term downside. Yeah, I, I guess kind of, that's, that's how I feel now. It's just like there's, I don't know, Matt, like it, it's, I, I think it's just, it's kind of bleeding into it a little bit for me, at least. Like I, 
immediately think because these two things happened almost in the same year that I don't know now they're now they're both going to be bad because of that more so than the Sixers than I do with uh, with the Eagles here and that's solely because that there was again there's plenty more to blame there's a lot more tangible things I'm not trying to make this into a into a rehash thing I just feel like there is some form of I don't know what it is maybe it's innovation maybe it is trying to do something different that it just it, it gets to a point in in any league in any professional sports anything that it just gets like NFL circles NBA circles owners eventually hear like yeah this is a joke this is laughing stock now you got to move on and, and kind of do this thing and that kind of feeds into my the Eagles thinking that I, I just I, I don't know I just kind of see mediocrity here uh with all that but I mean like the any kind of curious on your thoughts on 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 the Sixers Eagles kind of blend of that both kind of did the same thing at the same time here I think there are a lot of parallels. I think that where we are seeing the differences is that, um, how do I put this? All right. So, um, let's just not put it all. Let's just, let's just launch right into it. So, so, um, so Chip Kelly comes in and he's got this, you know, this sort of unique brand of whatever. And he's got this, uh, this like great thing that he's, he's sort of pitching here. Um, and, uh, he sort of tells, uh, ownership, uh, all right, I'm not getting enough and I want more. And I think that basically what I think is I think that both of them are a failure of ownership. And I think that they've sort of come from two different places. So what I mean is that, you know, Chip Kelly came in and he said, look, I need a little bit more. And I think that at the time it seemed to Lori that this was probably a bad idea. And he went ahead and did it anyway. You know, because I don't know, because he's credulous, because he believed him, because he didn't know what else to do. I mean, I certainly think that that third one really stands out to me where it's just like, I don't know what else to do. Uh, so I might as well just do this and let him sink or swim. Uh, and and we sort of saw that happen. Uh, and then and then he's just he sank like uh, Chip Kelly did not pan out. I don't think that he panned out as a coach. I don't think that he really panned out as a program builder. You know, in the end, I'm just not really sure that he, I mean, obviously he got fired. So after, after less than three years. So I, I just don't really think that it panned out. Uh, and I think that, uh, so, you know, I think for, at, at this point, what we're talking about here is that I think Chip is Jerry. And I think that Howie is Sam. Uh, and, I, and I certainly don't hold uh, Howie in the same sort of a scene that I hold Sam. I, and I thought Sam's uh, letter was incredible, um, just obsessively sourced and just a really like a really interesting product of a, of a sharp, focused mind. But that's a that's a whole other thing. But I, that's what I, that's what I really think happened is I think that Chip came in and he was just like, all right, you got to listen to me because you want me here. And ownership was like, well, yeah, we do. And he's like, here's what I want. First thing I want. I want this guy out of my face. Uh, and that was it. And like, I'm, and I'm going to bring in my son, Tom, you know, like that's, and that was, that was pretty much it. They, they were just like, oh, well, I don't know what else to do. Like, we need you here and this is what you want. So I guess you'll just get it. So I think that that's sort of what we're seeing here. Uh, I think that, so I think that that's just, yeah. So, so Chip comes in and he says, I want this guy out of my face. Same thing with Jerry. Jerry comes in and he's like, all right, I want this guy out of my face. I want to like shove him in a closet somewhere and he can just come out and tell me what he thinks and then I can ignore it. And like that was, you know, by all accounts, that was that was exactly how Chip treated Howie again, for better or for worse. Uh, and I think we we're all very much more settled on the fact that we think highly of Sam than that we 
that we may or may not think highly of Howie. Um, and that's a, that's a conversation for another day. But I really do think that, yeah, that Sam, Sam isn't Chip. You know, uh, Sam was the guy. He was the guy who was sort of here. And Jerry's sort of the interloper. Uh, Chip's sort of the interloper that just came in and screwed it all up. Uh, and I think that, I mean, we can talk about how they both sort of, uh, both Chip and Sam sort of preached innovation. But I guess, I mean, I guess the only thing that I could really say is that it really seemed like uh, Sam had a lot more, put a lot more thought into it than than Chip did. Yeah, I think there's, I, th- I, I think you're, I agree with a lot of what you said. I think there's some, and I do say, it's kind of interesting that you said that he's kind of Jerry. I didn't think of it that way, but it's totally true. And the fact that, you know, Chip had to kind of work his way up to that in such a short period of time versus, okay, Sam, here's the keys. Let's, let's kind of do this thing. Uh, yeah. And so I, well, I, so I think that I guess the last thing I wanted to say, sorry, but the last thing I wanted to say is that I think it was a failure of ownership on both parts because uh, ultimately he should have said no. You know, uh, ownership should have said no. Ownership should have stepped in. And I know that none of us really like meddlesome ownership, but like I think ownership, they're the guys who write the check. They're supposed to be the buffer. They're supposed to be the guys who, you know, got to be incredibly wealthy by being good managers. And uh, I think, you know, for that part or for our part, like that is what ownership was supposed to do. And ownership was supposed to have the balls to be like no chip and like no Jerry. Uh, This seems like a bad idea to me. And, you know, instead, what we're seeing is that Chip is on the way out and, you know, across the street, the sort of the opposite thing happened. But, you know, now Chip is like Chip is like damaged goods. And Sam sort of, you know, depending on who you ask, seems like he's, you know, drunk at the wheel or a loser or like a huckster or who knows. But I don't know. I just think that ownership really should have just said uh, no we're going to we're going to take it slow yeah and uh by the way why as we're recording this i'm i'm thinking that the flyers are dead they have uh they have fi- they've tied it they're going in overtime so, so maybe there is maybe there is some hope uh, uh as that's going on i have no idea how you're going in overtime in the maple leafs so that's you know a whole different podcast and discussion but uh, yeah I, i'm 100 percent with you especially with with the ownership and i just think it's and both of them to the to the see i think there's more parallels with with Howie being kind of like that's he's all you're right he's Sam he's also Jerry I think Chip is Sam and also Jerry there's there's weird like uh, the, the parallels for both of those guys there because Laurie was basically the guy the, you know that was that was his insurance that was like hey make make sure this guy doesn't screw this thing up okay you know so so there was there was that going on there with both cases this is my frustration I guess is there is no. I always hear in sports, oh, yeah, you know, you got to listen to people. It has to be a collaborative effort. No, no, not at all. There has to be one voice that follows a plan, and you have to listen to those people that you, you know, and granted, I think this is where it kind of comes in where both people didn't really go, okay, uh, I want my guy in here. I think we work best this way. I think we, you know, I I get the impression that nobody asked, ownership didn't ask Sam, you know, who, who would you work with best here? Who do you think would be a good basketball mind to kind of guide you along here? I don't think either of those conversations on either side happened because it just, you know, it was already to a point where they they had controls and, and, and that was that. But I don't know. Not that we want to spend a ton of time kind of rehashing all this stuff. I just think with, with the Sixers and everything that's kind of coming out here, without a doubt, and I've said this before, I've already said this so with the guys over crossing ground, I'm going to say it here too. If there's not a 30 for 30, and they don't call it Sam and Chip or Chip and Sam. They're doing it wrong. Like 
this was so James, this was so weird to me as as far as just like I was saying before, like this was the most exciting thing, the most awful thing, and the most interesting thing all at once. And it happened and it felt like ten years. And it only happened in three years. You know, it's just, it's so weird to me. Well, no, it it really is. And it it really, John, you're right in the sense that like, like I was saying before about the fact that the Sixers were the, you know, poster child for tanking. That's because it was a national story. People talked about the strategy, how bad this team was, how like this, that same thing with Chip. I mean, we all saw it. Chip was a media firestorm nationally. I mean, this guy coming in with these methods and this different way of doing things and this acerbic wit and this, you know, you know, basically being a, you know, dick to people like he, you know, uh, it, it all like the, it, it, it was big, man. Like it was big. Like the whole thing was big and it felt big because they were doing things in a very different way than sports. Those sports had seen and basketball is a little bit better about being progressive with the way they do things, especially with silver, uh, but like the NFL, I mean, they don't they don't change, man. Like they don't they don't do things differently. It's not a, a league of of you know. I'm not talking specifically play on the field. I'm talking the way organizations are run, the way this that. You know, it's like it's been. It's a very there's a very you know there's a way of doing things. And Chip Kelly came in and just said, "Fuck that shit." You know, I'm doing shit my way. And, and I think that that really created a very a buzz, both good and and I think a lot of bad as well within the league and and around the league. And I I think the same thing with Hinky. You know, he came in and he said, "All right, this is the way the rules are set up. This is the situation that my team is in. I'm in the middle. So if I just keep doing what I'm doing, I'm screwed. So I can either you know blow it up or I can you know." That's it, but also by taking advantage of the lottery system and trying to, you know, utilize the best opportunities. He used to use the phrase measured risks a lot, and, and I thought that was dead on. Uh, you know, they didn't get lucky, but, you know, to, to get from from mediocre to great in the NBA, you have to get atrocious. And, and you know, he, he took measured risks to try and get the best players for the future and a young you know, core to build around, and, um, you know, he just didn't get very lucky. All right, we're going to break uh, off this uh, just for uh, a moment because uh, I really want to get to Jeff Moser's insights as far as QB talk. Uh, there's been some visits which have been interesting with the Eagles. We'll get to that just uh, after this. Uh, Jeff Moser joining us right now on the Clip It Hotline. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen of the BGN Radio community and BleedingGreenNation.com, i John Barchard, your host here. How you doing? I hope you've been enjoying the show. Uh, so this is where Jeff Mosher and I should be speaking to one another. And I was so excited for today because Jeff was going to join us pretty much every week to talk Eagles with us, share some information, you know, get really excited about the upcoming draft here. Uh, if, if some of you may remember, one of our first shows ever was with Shukapadia. And that ended up, no one ever heard it because the computer ate it. So Jeff Mosier has had the same luck of Shio Kapadie due to my computer, which is uh, deciding, you know, just to do whatever it feels like this past week. So I've actually lost the interview with Jeff Mosier, and I am so sorry to him, first and foremost, for, you know, spending the seven minutes with me in his afternoon where he could be eating Oreos or, you know, cooking food or maybe another marathon run to go get a sandwich uh, just, just for kicks. Uh, as he did over at the Fanatic this weekend. So, uh, Mosher got Kapadiate, and I feel terrible for everybody and everybody listening to the show 
right now because he did in fact say yeah uh, you know it, it's uh, it, whether it's smoke or not uh, you know i don't think i don't think it oh, he, he was saying it doesn't oh, exist anymore smoke screens don't really exist because the information's already out there so they just try and use it to their information but he definitely thinks that the eagles are in play uh for carson wentz if i had that tape i so badly wanted to play it for you uh, but I, but I cannot. And if you'll notice, even in the recordings, so we we even changed up the recordings. We're gonna make them sound nice and crystal clear. Uh, and we were 31 minutes into this thing, and you'll notice that James and Matt are crystal clear, and I sound like crap because once again, my computer crapped out, and I lost all my speaking files as well. So I'm using I'm using the Bobo backup. I, I just want to say I hope you're enjoying the show. Uh, but uh, yeah, Jeff Mosier definitely thinks they ran on a QB and. He would suggest the Eagles taking one early in the first round as uh, we will get into more of the debate. But Jimmy Kemsky here shortly. My apologies once again to Jeff Mosier, the audience, and everybody else. Let's get back to the show. Again, a big thanks to Jeff Mosier here. Um, and-, and real quick, John, can we give a shout out since we did have Mosh on for, for the Mosher run, which is everyone check it out on YouTube. Yeah, I mean, that that is... That is the most impressive. I was there. It's the most impressive thing I've ever seen. Like it was, I, I, it was unbelievable. Yeah, but he was poo-pooing uh, your twelve-minute time marks. He's like, I don't know how anybody would, <laughs> would think that. It was just like it was three minutes, but I he's said, definitely paying for it. So, oh you no, know, he's hurt, man. It was bad. He couldn't talk for for the last hour of the show. Yeah. Uh, so it, just to touch on some of the QB talk again here, Matt is. I, I just feel like. You know, we, we we know they're drafting a quarterback. It's still up in the air as far as when. Um, just your your thoughts, basically, on well, first of all, they're bringing in every freaking quarterback that is draft eligible. They're bringing in Paxton Lynch now, uh, and uh, a couple other guys. I think they've even gone to like Dartmouth uh, to bring in some QBs. So they're definitely taking one. You know, Jeff thinks that they're they're kind of trolling around. They really do think that there's a possibility that they're going to go after Wentz, um, but. What uh, did you take anything away from from all the the QB invites right now? Yeah, I think my answer is pretty much unchanged. I do wonder what shape will Paxton Lynch's beard be this week? Will it be a triangle, an upside down triangle? I don't know, like a trapezoid. It's I ooh, I'm a tingle. It's so great, it's one of the great mysteries yes, of our time. Yes, it is. See, st- bang it here for BGN Radio for this kind of talk. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, BGN Radio podcast you can fuck to. Sorry, I had to. Um, All right, so I I think my answer is unchanged. I mean, yeah, it's pretty clear that they're interested in taking one. I also think it's interesting that they are devoting like a disproportionate amount of resources to it. But I really don't see – I really don't think we'll know what that means until afterwards because – and like I said last time, I mean, they traditionally put a lot into like – trying to find the quarterback position and, and they should, that should really be, I think this should be an approach that more teams take. Uh, so it's always funny to me that they're like, Oh, like a team hosted, uh, some 340 pound guy from some place. And it's just like, why, why bother? Just take him. Like nobody else is going to take him. 
why are you like going to waste your time getting to know like a fifth rounder if you know when you could like especially if you don't have a quarterback why aren't you like bringing in all these guys and being like oh we you know which one of these guys would we want to work with you know which one of these guys could we work with so to me i mean i'm i I can't i just can't put that much stock into it i just can't every year there's like a just a trillion pre-draft visits and just every year like none of it ever goes that way you know like most teams don't even draft a guy in the first round that they had in for a visit uh stuff like that. Like, uh, so, I mean, I, I guess it's pretty clear that they're going to take one. Um, but I just, I really don't know, like, does that mean that they're going to do the first round? Does that mean that they're going to trade up to one, one, like has suddenly appeared on my radar? Uh, does that mean that they're going to, you know, take a guy in the third? Does it mean they're going to take a guy in the fifth? Does that mean that they're going to like triple dip on UDFAs? Uh, which probably wouldn't be, which probably wouldn't work, but you know, I have no idea. Like it's just, it's just really hard for me to sort of parse it all out. And I think, well, obviously here's a good thought. We'll know more after the draft, but I, you know, I just wonder if this isn't kind of the new normal or if this isn't the way that things are going to be going where you dedicate a significant amount of your pre-draft resources towards an important position. Yeah, I I think you're 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 right on. Uh, it's just a matter of now this draft class, which we've had this debate a thousand times, and we're actually going to have it one more because Jimmy Kemsky from the Philly Voice uh, joins us right now, and this is where you know I I think that there is going to be some. I, I just get the feeling that they uh, this isn't really smoke as as Mosher was saying, and really what is at this point? You know, like they don't no nobody really knows what's going to happen with uh, up top there. Other than Tunsil, it's it's kind of all up in the air as far as what's going to happen next. Obviously, I think that's where a lot of people think that uh, they need to be because the Browns are right there. They need a quarterback. But do they need to take a quarterback early? Uh, and, and Jimmy was saying, yes, they absolutely do, as uh, myself and Ben Natan uh, joined him as well to kind of go over this one more time. And uh, here it is uh, from this past Thursday afternoon. And of course, you know, it's just we, we can't get away from it. And I don't think it's possible until we hit April 28th and finally figure out what the Eagles are going to do. There's been, you know, a lot of lot of different, yes, the Eagles should move up. Uh, they should just take it there. Even if the quarterback falls, they shouldn't go. They should. They shouldn't. So why not bring back Philly Voices' own Mr. Jimmy Kemsky, Ben Deton, here from BleedingGreenNation.com. We're going to try and figure this thing out. Jimmy, what's going on, man? How are you? How's it going, guys? I'm good. Uh, well, uh, so just I know you had... You just recently posted why the Eagles basically should take a quarterback, and especially in the first round. Why is that? Well, you guys are anti-quarterback, right? Uh, for, yeah, for the in this class, yes. Yes, we are. Well, you're wrong, and I hate you. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, Jimmy wins. Thanks for coming on. And uh, <laughs> All right, have a good one. <laughs> now, for me, and, and I, guess, I guess, first of all, it, first of all, the question you got to ask is, do you like the quarterbacks that you'd be going up to get? Obviously, I mean, but that, you know, kind of can get lost in it sometimes, you know, because you, you either have a quarterback in the NFL or you don't. I say this all the time. So, like, if I sound like a broken record, my apologies. But, you know, it's all you either have a quarterback or you don't. If you don't, there's no chance unless you have some kind of historic defense like the 2000 Ravens or the 2002 Bucks, or like we saw this last year with the Denver Broncos, whose defense was kind of ridiculous. And then to a lesser extent, the Seahawks, so obviously they have a quarterback as well. Uh, but for me, the two quarterbacks, obviously, that everyone kind of puts up at the top of the draft are Carson Wentz and Jared Goff. I happen to like them both quite a bit. I think they're both top 10 worthy type picks. You know, they're not who you'd have to, you know, they're not like a guy that you would want to have to get at the first overall pick. But if the, uh, you know, if trade compensation isn't, you know, 
absolutely crazy to go up and, and maybe get one of those guys. And, you know, I can, I can see them going up and doing that. And I can see the logic behind it because again, you, you have a quarterback, you don't, in my opinion, they don't with Sam Bradford. And I don't think the Eagles think of him as a long-term answer as their quarterback either, given the two-year deal that they gave him. I think he's kind of more like short-term competency in a, re- in a very weak division, while Chase Daniel, to me, is kind of like a long-term backup. Yeah, I think that all makes kind of a, a lot of sense. I'm I th- Obviously, I think I'm a bigger Sam Bradford fan than either one of you. I know Ben is uh, Ben is very much off the Sam Bradford train. It has been. And look, I don't expect them not, not to good take... for you, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sorry. Uh, no, no, not not at all. This is all just you know, kind of conversational here. But ben, ben, I mean, like, what? Even though you are not a Sam Bradford fan, what is it so much against golf against Wentz that you would just kind of be like, you know what? I, I'd rather just take the the better football players at that point. See see if you know. I guess you're just waiting to see if you have anything here, and if you end up losing, you're going to draft a, a quarterback next year anyway, and so on and so on. Is that basically your stance here? It really comes down to the fact that Wentz and golf to me are not good quarterbacks with golf you have an undersized uh pretty weak armed quarterback who needs who needs structure in order to thrive once he's kind of hit a few times or makes a few mistakes it snowballs out of control and and you have a Blaine Gabbert type of situation you saw that a couple of times during this year especially when he was facing more physical defenses that he gets rattled very very quickly and and, and it's something to be nervous about and over the course of his college career he started every game uh the first three years while he was at Cal and I don't think he exceeded 15 wins uh, despite playing with a bunch of all Pac-12 level talent. And that's a huge red flag. Uh, So with him, it's just like, if he can't really carry that kind of team to any semblance of success and he doesn't have the poise to get it done at the college level against higher level college competition, you know, you watch his games against Oregon, against Washington, against uh, USC or, or Utah, that's it, it, major red flags during those football games. And if he can't get it done there, you have to worry about if, if he can do it at the NFL level, you know, is he physically maxed out? Can he add weight? Can he add arm strength? And I'm, I'm not willing to make a bet on that. I think that's too big of a projection. And with Carson Wentz, um, whereas golf is very experienced, and I'll give that to golf. Wentz is not very experienced. He he has one full season of starting. Uh, he missed a lot of his pat his senior season with injury. And yeah, you know he he has a big arm, great size, athleticism. You know he's an aggressive passer, but his accuracy is all over the place. You know he's at the very least he's inconsistent consistent working in the pocket and his he was running an incredibly incredibly simple offense so there's a huge learning curve with that type of situation there so when you're having both of these quarterbacks have these massive obstacles in the way between them and actually becoming high level quarterbacks and you compare them to you know Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota last year Jameis Winston was a two-year starter at Florida State was massively successful running a pro style offense you know aggressive passer Great in the pocket, great size, the whole bit. Mariota, one of the smarter passers to come out of college football in the past couple of years. Great tools, high character, everything like that. And you don't see that with Wentz. You don't see that with Goff. And frankly, I think the best quarterback in this class is Paxton Lynch. But even with him, there's some injury and off-the-field type of issues um, that would scare me away from taking him in the first round. And I, I don't think that it'd be smart to take a quarterback in the first round when there's going to be legitimate playmakers in the top 10 for the Eagles, be it at wide receiver, be it at running back, be it on the defensive side of the ball. And that's what the Eagles need to prioritize because that's what they're really lacking right now. They're lacking playmakers. And if they don't address the fact that they have no playmakers on either side of the ball – 
yet they're going to force a picket quarterback. You're going to be caught in the same situation they were caught in last year where they have mediocre quarterback play and they don't have the type of playmakers to elevate the offense. Yeah, now, Jimmy, I want you to respond to that because, are, Ben, are you referring to uh, Paxton Lynch's possible large white China collection as, as, as off-the-field stuff? Yeah, okay. there's some rumors right. that he – yeah, yeah. I'm not going to get too much into yeah. it. Because... Okay, no, I just wanted to make sure. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, Jimmy, that's why I think we're – well, I'm intrigued now. So. <laughs> <laughs> there's been some speculation that he likes to party a little bit, uh, maybe party a little too hard. So, uh, I mean, there's a reason he looks like Johnny Depp. Uh, yeah, so. exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, and, and that's what I mean. Like, you know, all these guys, to me, Jimmy, seem like they have, like, one go- good tool, a great tool. And I'm not even just talking about, like, the first round, sure, and, and it's very identifiable, but pretty much the entire draft class is that same way. It's like, yeah, this guy throws deep really good. I just feel like there's a lot of happy Gilmores, basically. <laughs> they, can all, they can all hit the ball off of the tee. It's just they have no short game, and they're going to have time to develop here. So that's like, why wouldn't you at that point, why wouldn't you take the better athlete, I guess, at seven or eight or however, they're whatever they kind of go up and down to uh, and just worry about QB later. I understand the QB is the most important position, but just like you said, not not unless they're good. <laughs> you know, I don't think these guys are good. I will respectfully disagree with one point made on each quarterback by Ben. Or maybe disrespectfully disagree. Maybe I'll just <laughs> trash sure, him. Sure, sure. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm not here for no, respectability politics, Jimmy. Just put, you know, take off the gloves. Come on. <laughs> so for Wentz, um, you said that he ran sort of a simple offense at North Coast. But I actually disagree. I thought... Yeah, they ran a lot of you know pro style uh, concepts, and he made checks at the line. And unlike a lot of the other quarterbacks who really did run you know sort of remedial offenses in, in college, like you know Hackenberg at Penn State and Cardell Jones at, at Ohio State, and Lynch ran an extremely you know simple offense at, at Memphis, and even Goff with the air raid offenses, you know that's that's not as I don't think that was as as uh, you know it's kind of getting him pro ready. As the offense that, that Wentz ran at North Dakota State, taken, you know, he took drops from center, wasn't always in the shotgun. And I thought they asked him to kind of go through his progressions a little bit more than a lot of the other guys. So I think he, in that regard, Wentz is coming from an offense where it'll actually put him in a position to, to be ready for a lot of the pro-style co- concepts so he's going to have to learn at the next level. So I actually think that's kind of a checkmark in his favor. As for Goss, Lynch is undersized and you know, he's 6'4", which is fine, but I think what you're referring to is how skinny he is. And I get it. Like you look at him in his arms, like they look like mine. <laughs> so, like, and I'm a what? So like, I get it. He doesn't look like, like when you look at Carson Wentz and he just looks sturdy. Like you just look at him and you go, okay, he looks, he looks like an NFL quarterback, but Goff, because of how skinny he, look, he is, you look at him and you go, he's going to get killed. But he threw, he attempted 500 passes in, in each of the last three years. He took a lot of hits, took a lot of sacks. He, you know, uh, he got up. He got up from all of them and, and always kept playing. You look at a guy like Eli Manning, who, you know, that guy does not look tough. And again, he doesn't have, he, he looks kind of skinny in his own right, kind of looks dopey with, you know, that all shucks kind of luck. And that guy is one of the toughest players in the NFL. Like, he never <laughs> misses games, he takes shots all the time, gets up, keeps playing. And that's kind of what Jared Goff did now. So whether he gets rattled or not, when, when you get to him, I think you can say that for you know, just about any quarterback. You can say that for Tom Brady. And you, get, you get constant pressure on him, and, and you're going to rattle Tom Brady. So you know, I, I kind of I disagree that you know, him being that skinny is really that big of a concern. Because, and, and, and again, I think that, that might actually be another checkmark in his favor. Because when he gets to the NFL 
and he gets smacked around, it's going to be like, oh, I remember this. <laughs> I dealt with this at Cal. So I don't really think that, uh, you know, his, his size is, 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 all, is as worrisome as, as, um, as you think it is. And uh, with Wentz, again, I just, I just think that, uh, you know, his, his transformation to the NFL with the offense that he ran in North Dakota, is he's actually ahead of a lot of the other quarterbacks in this class. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just think there's, I think there's parts of that where I, I'm with you on the frame. Uh, with Goff, I just think that there, there's still a, a mental aspect to it where, you know, he easily remembers what he did wrong and it still sticks in his head. He might be tough, end up being tough physically. I just don't see it. Uh, kind of on the back side. I'm not worried the one, about it. The one thing that I will, I'm sorry, the one thing that I will agree with is, you know, he is, he is an experience. And like, as, as far as his readiness to, to go to the, and we're talking about Lance here, as far as his readiness to, to go to the pros, like, again, I think he's got every physical tool that you want with the big arm and the size and the mobility and, and quick release. I agree that his accuracy isn't as bad, isn't as good as, you know, a lot of the other top one quarterbacks in the mountain recent years, although I don't think it's bad. Um, but with him, you know, he's thrown 600-something passes over his entire college career, whereas Goff has over 1,500. So, you know, I think there is a, a, a big difference there in terms of his experience. So that would be my concern in terms of him being pro-ready. But from the Eagles' perspective, that's, no, that's not a big deal to me because they, they're never going to be a starter next year. And maybe, and they have him under, under their control anyway for, for at least the next two years. And then they can move on from him next year. Obviously, if they feel comfortable with Wentz or whoever going forward. So they're not in a position where they have to have him, you know, be thrown to the wolves immediately. And they're also in a position where they have a very quarterback focused coaching staff. With Doug Peterson is a former quarterback or former quarterback coach. They have Frank Rank, who's a former quarterback, former quarterback coach. They have Filippo, who's a former quarterback coach and now is the current quarterback coach. And then you have, of course, Chase Daniel, who kind of serves as like, you know, that, uh, the, the, the player slash mentor if you want to call him that obviously working behind Drew Brees and, and Alex Smith and obviously the the, the comfort the the comfort level that he has with, with Doug Peterson. So you know I think you know a guy like Wentz, you can have him sit for a year and he'll really be in a good position with the Eagles team, with their coaching staff and all the pieces that are around them where he, you can let him grow for a year and then put him out there. I just want to make a point on golf. My concerns with his frame don't have anything to do with durability. I'm not one of those people who harps on oh, okay. frame for the sake of durability. It's more the the actual strength component because you look at it, and I'm just going to throw out another quarterback there just for the sake of comparison. You look at a guy like Vernon Adams, and Vernon Adams is five foot eleven and two hundred pounds, and his BMI is actually higher than than golf. And why that's important is because he's able to generate a lot of strength when he's throwing, where he's able to throw from compromised positions. Whereas with Goff, if he if he's compromised at all during throwing, if his footwork's a little messy, if it, you know, if he's not set properly, if his body's not facing the right, you know, not totally facing the right direction, you're going to see a, a a bit. You're going to see a large amount of spin really taking off his passes, where he needs a perfect platform on passes in order to get full velocity where all like he needs his entire body to generate his arm strength. And that's where that, the frame thing comes into concern for me, where it's, it's just an actual strength thing where a guy like Vernon Adams is able to kind of throw from wherever because he's so naturally strong, whereas golf isn't and golf wasn't able to improve on that from his sophomore year to his junior year. And there was a 30 pound weight gain, I believe, because he had surgery during his, um, during his sophomore year where he was playing at like 180 pounds or something ridiculous like that. But the point is that there's, there's not a lot of natural arm strength there. And I don't like, I don't see any reason to believe that his arm is going to get better in the NFL. And as for Wentz and the whole pro style thing, it's like he was running pro style concepts 
But the fact of the matter is, and he even said this, that a lot of the time there was reads that he wouldn't even go over. He would not be reading the middle of the field most of the time. He'd be reading the edges and looking to run a lot of the time. So like they're pro style concepts. But, uh, you know, if you actually look down, look at his the offense he was playing throw for throw, it's not so much it's not much different than what Mariota was running last year at Oregon, except for the fact that um, he wasn't running it out of sh- uh, Wentz being Wentz, uh, Wentz wasn't running it out of shotgun all the time. They're using single back and stuff like that. So Wentz was running a college type offense. And, you know, I hate using pro style and college type offense because it's not, I mean, because we have those type of concepts in the NFL. It's just a matter of, are you able to make those reads consistently? But the fact of the matter is he wasn't making, you know, high level reads. He wasn't making a lot of, you know, difficult throws. And even more worrying than that is he wasn't doing it very efficiently either. The thing with Mariota, when you were looking at him coming out of Oregon is he was running this offense and it was a a quote unquote college offense, but he was running it to such a level of efficiency that you weren't really worrying about whether or not he could come to the pros whereas with Wentz you see a lot more mistakes you see a lot more you know brain farts misfire stuff like that where it makes me question and like how how well can he transition to the NFL and if you throw him out there I mean he's going to throw a lot of interceptions really really quickly and you know, obviously the, the argument is that you have a Sam Bradford in place and you have a really cubic co- uh, friendly coaching staff which I t- give the Eagles some time to groom a guy but if that's the case, why are you taking that guy top 10? You know, if this is a guy that needs to be groomed in the first place, why are you spending a top 10 pick on him when there are definitely guys in this draft class who can be taken later and who have outstanding like outstanding skill sets who can be groomed by the very same coaching staff given the same, you know, t- time, like afforded the same time to develop and end up being the same kind of quarterback. And I don't really see that. I think that's a poor allocation of resources when there's going to be guys in the top 10 this year who are going to be able to get, you know, give the Eagles playmakers immediately. Uh, and it just uh, See, doesn't I think make... there's a huge gap between Goff and Wentz and the rest of the pack. I don't think you can just take a guy like Dak Prescott, for example, and, and say, okay, you can groom him and he's going to be the same level quarterback as, as a guy like Goff or Wentz. I think there's really an enormous difference between those two guys and, and you know, the guys that you're going to get in the third, fourth, or fifth round. Uh, so, and, and just, just to piggyback on your, on your golf point, which I actually agree with, I, I do think, you know, his, his arm clearly isn't all that strong. He's definitely not on the same level as Lance or Lance or, you know, a bunch of the other guys, but you mentioned the footwork where, you know, if he doesn't have his, his feet set and he's got to kind of improvise and, and, you know, kind of just use his arm to, to get the ball out there, then that's where he can run into some trouble, especially at the next level. But the <laughs> Fortunately for him, his footwork is amazing. <laughs> that's that's probably the best part of his game. Pocket presence and the way that he moves around in the pocket and puts himself in a position to make throws, joy tremendous. I mean, it, uh, there's there's probably not a, not a guy that's, that's been as as polished as him in a while coming out. The way that you know the way that he does set his feet and and, and the way that he kind of can can see the pass rush coming while also kind of keeping his eyes down the field and moving around, just making very subtle moves in the pocket, getting his feet under him and, and making throws uh, very efficiently. So. You know, while I do agree that the arm strength is a concern in that regard, it's kind of offset by the way that he that he is able to to get his body in the right position to make you know to make those tough throws. Yeah, I, I think that you know I think that both sides have have a good argument here. I guess my only my my last question to you, Jimmy, is just like let's say that they do select one of these guys, and I don't know. See, if if they select him now, uh, I would assume that Bradford still goes for the most of the year, barring injury. Uh, then, you know, they kind of move on from Bradford, Wentz or Goff come out and start up, then they fail. <laughs> then what? You know, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think there's, 
I, I don't know. I know that's just kind of like uh, prolonging oh, the question sure. a bunch of what ifs, but, but uh, <laughs> yeah, the, what do you do then? Is then you gotta, you're looking for another quarterback. <laughs> right, so why not just take the better athlete while it's in front of you? And if, you know, I, I guess you have to put... Because if you don't have a quarterback, then you're never going to win anyway. Well, we, yeah, but there's still, like, you could say that why aren't the Colts in the playoffs? Why aren't the Colts, like, you know, going through and, and doing all this stuff? Like, Andrew Luck is a... Is a pretty good damn quarterback. I think Dan Marino was a pretty good quarterback. John Elway was a good quarterback. He didn't get there until the end. Uh, so was uh, Manning and all this other stuff. That's why I, I still think you have to have some form of athlete, some form of weapons there. It's why Ben Roethlisberger's numbers have been improving steadily with his wide receiving core and things like this. So I I, I don't know. I just th- I think there's I think I I'm with you 100 that they need to put their put draw a line in the sand. I just I don't think it should be this year. You know that, that that's basically it. Yeah, but then if it's not this year, <laughs> then you draft one and then you have Chase Daniels to figure it out until and, until and you then, do, and then you figure out two years down the line that that guy isn't good. <laughs> and now you're even a year further back. Well, yeah, yeah, to, to throw, yeah, to throw either your either own way. shitty logic right back. Of course you are. Of course you are. No, it's true. It's Sorry true. about that. I'm just kidding. No, no, it's tr- <laughs> it's true either way. It's true either way. And basically, by the way, nobody's ever kidding. That's my rule of thumb. Uh, there, there's, there's, uh, but no, I, I I'm with you. I'm just. I guess I'm more worried of the fact that I I you know I'm not. I'm very hesitant to say that this front office can go. This is the guy. They're all going to groom him here. I understand that all, all these guys have are, are self-proclaimed or proclaimed by the media, you know, QB gurus. I'd like to see it for a year first. That's that's the basic argument. So, well, uh, Mr. Jimmy Kepsky from the Philly Voice, uh, we won't agree on uh, on quarterbacks, but we'll probably agree on beers and bourbon and all that good stuff. Thanks for joining us once oh. again, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you got it, guys. So, yeah, uh, after all that, we're still, here we are, un- undecided. And this is, James, this is what I want to get your take on this, too, because We've heard a lot of quarterback guru talk, and this is the same things that uh, Jimmy and I were talking about, is we, we've heard all this stuff. So why waste those resources that Matt was saying on in that in the first round? If they really can develop somebody here, and most of these guys have one big tool, and that's it, whether it's being able to throw deep or their footwork's really great or, or whatever, they're all just missing the other pieces, at least it is in my mind, uh, then, then why not have those resources reserved for the later rounds? Yeah. I I a hundred million trillion percent agree with you guys. I, I think that that's the move. I mean, look, John Gruden came out today, and again, for what it's worth, Gruden, but the dude knows quarterbacks and and spends a lot of time with quarterbacks. He came out and said Connor Cook was the best quarterback in the draft. You know, it's that kind of year, and, and you know, I, I just think that I think it would be insane, insane to trade up because you fall in love with a guy or or whatever. Because none of these guys are surefire. That's the point. Like you said, Doug Peterson, Frank Reich, John Filippo. that's their guy's job, right? Like, that's why they brought these specific guys to Philly, right? To take a quarterback and be able to turn him into something special. They're quote-unquote quarterback guys, quarterback gurus, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Like, no, like, it'd be insane to me. Insane to give up other assets. Look, if if Wentz or Goff, if you love those two and one of those two falls state, fine. Uh, you know, I I, I want to fill other needs, but I'm okay with it. You know, I, I get it. That's fine. Don't, don't, don't give up any other assets. Okay, please, please, please. Yeah, I, and I, it's uh, that's absolutely right. But we would, I would be. <laughs> the, the the other good thing, uh, good good or bad, and everybody's going to scream at this, that the fact that, hey, Zeke Elliott tonight on Thursday uh, announced that, 
yeah, he's got an official visit with the Eagles. Again, I think this is this is more or less going to be just to, just just because they have to. Because why wouldn't you uh, if everything goes wrong and Ezekiel Elliott's there? I, as much as I think that is still the right pick, I don't expect them to actually move this. But hey, uh, at least they're. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I guess your takes haven't really changed for. Th- with Zeke either here, Matt. I mean, it, it's not really a good or bad thing, but I guess somewhat happy that the Eagles are bringing him in for a visit. Yeah, I mean, if we're allowed to all go at each other's throats about Christian Hackenberg, I don't see why we can't just equally just rip each other new ones over Ezekiel Elliott. So let's get down to it. Um, I don't know. I uh, Yeah, I mean, they, they got to have him in. They got to ask him, you know, well, they probably have to have like somebody walk up to him in the bathroom and be like, hey, man, you want to buy some pills and see what he says, uh, you know, just to try to get a sense of where he's at as far as as far as that stuff goes. Uh, I do think that if there's any reason why the Eagles would be able to take him, it will probably be because of that. And I guess that worries me a little bit because uh, the last time I checked, you can buy whatever sort of illegal drugs you want in Philadelphia. Uh, so I guess, I guess it's a little, it's a little worrisome that, you know, the only reason that we'd be able to get him, you know, sort of like, uh, the only reason that he would join our club is because, you know, whatever. So, uh, but, but like, you know, the only reason that we probably would be able to get him is either if we traded up or if the, the pill problem is like a, really a problem. So I guess, I guess that's the sort of thing that they're probably going to pull him in and ask him about. And that's usually what these pre-draft visits are about, especially for like, you know, non-quarterback edition where, you know, they're not going to send it to the, the board and be like, all right, what do I do here? Like, oh, I block you know, or whatever, like, this is one of the six protection calls I know, uh, they're probably going to pull him in and be like, dude, like, what is wrong with you? Or like, just try to get a better sense of like who he is and how he could fit in. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm glad they're looking at him. Obviously that's not nothing, but as I just got done saying, like the pre-draft visits don't always mean a whole lot. So that's right. Uh, well, I mean, we appreciate uh, everybody tuning in once again, episode number 157. I think we're just going to Leave it at that. Uh, a big thanks to Jeff Mosier and Jimmy Kemsky for joining us. And, of course, for myself, John Barcher, for Mr. Matt Daring, and, of course, James Elzer. We thank you for listening right here on BleedingGreenNation.com. You've been listening to BGN Radio right here on BleedingGreenNation.com. Fueled by Duncan Philly and part of the Liberty Broadcast Network. Folks, we have now reached our final destination of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We realize you have a choice in podcasting. We thank you for choosing ours.